Hello and welcome to episode 7 of The Gamer's Advocate, the E3 special, where I'm going to break down all the big news and what I experienced when I was living in LA for an entire week, taking in the Super Bowl of video games as I like to call it. But before we jump into that, I have to go through, sadly, my predictions of E3, which, you know, I'll let them speak for themselves, but I did not fare so well. So without further ado, let's just rip this band-aid off and get this over with. Number one, Project Scorpio will launch on November 10th for $499. While this was almost true, Project Scorpio, now known as Xbox One X, will be released on November 7th, just three days earlier than my prediction, at $499. So, 0.5 points. Number two, Smash will be released for the Switch in October, with Helix from ARMS, the Ice Climbers, Jabanyan, and the Inklings from Splatoon. Survey says, zero points. None of that was talked about. Number three, Assassin's Creed Origins will have a modern day component and will launch for the Nintendo Switch. Zero points. Metroid will return with no Prime moniker and will be releasing in holiday of 2018. The truth is that Metroid Prime is returning, which is incredible. But yes, as Metroid Prime and there was no release date given. So, 0.33 points. Number five. Pokemon Stars will be announced for the Nintendo Switch. This was also not true, though they did say that a brand new Pokemon adventure would be coming to the Switch, though it may take a year or more. So, zero points. Number six, Spyro Remastered will be announced at the PlayStation Conference. This, also not true, zero points. Number seven, Ori 2 will be announced. This, I got right, and as you will learn in a little bit, may have been my favorite moment of the entire E3 2017 show. Number eight, Xbox will talk about VR and Halo and a Master Chief experience will be the prime example of why you should care. This did not happen and there was barely any mention of our beloved Master Chief, zero points. Number nine, God of War will be released on October 24th, 2017. Unfortunately, we were given a 2018 release date, so, Zero points. And last, number 10. The Virtual Console will launch in July with Super Mario World, Super Mario 64, and Super Mario Sunshine. And ladies and gentlemen, that is also zero points. So my E3 predictions for 2017 netted me a grand total of 1.83 points out of 10. Good job, Adam. Okay, now, time for the fun to begin. So the way we're gonna talk about this E3 that happened this year, I'm going to break it down by the days that I attended the show. So we're going to break down what happened each day, also talking about what happened at the conferences and giving you impressions of what I saw and what is the future of video games. So I flew in on Saturday and I arrived just in time to make it to EA Play. And if you're unfamiliar with that, EA was holding this big showcase because they're not technically a part of E3. And they had this big event where you can play Need for Speed, and you could play Battlefront, and FIFA, and Madden, and all these games. I went with my friend Aton, and we got there at probably about 3 o'clock for a 4 o'clock entrance, and the line was already wrapped all the way around the block. And it appears that they were just letting anybody with tickets in, and I ended up leaving because I did not care too much to play these games and wait 4 or 5 hours because one of my friends I was waiting with who ended up staying didn't get in till 7.30 at night. 
and by that time Battlefront, for whatever reason, was already closed. So that was kind of a bust. Though the EA press conference, it was a little slow and didn't give too much excitement, but there were some highlights in there. So besides the Madden and the FIFA and a new look at Need for Speed, which looks to be taking a lot from the Fast and Furious series, everything at EA just felt, I don't know, nothing besides A Way Out and Anthem really felt truly special or there weren't any great surprises. And while I'm looking forward to playing a lot of these titles, it was an okay start to E3 and obviously I was a little sour that I didn't get to get into EA Play, but I did get a chance to get hands-on with a couple of these titles later on in the week. So besides that, I went to an IGN meetup party and got to talk and meet with some of the incredible editors like Jose Otero who just got a job at Nintendo, which is incredible, and finally meet Per Schneider and all these incredible people I've been following for years and was able to tell them how much IGN meant to me. So that was a very cool experience and it was a fun party that was sponsored by Hot Pockets, which was interesting and they were giving away Hot Pockets. And yes, there was a Hot Pocket mascot walking around and dancing with all the lovely attendees of this said party. And that was day one. Nothing too crazy, a nice start to the week, and just kind of getting a lay of the land of Los Angeles, considering I've never really got to spend too much time there besides a six-hour stunt before I left for overseas. Now day two is where things got very interesting. As some of you may be familiar, Xbox holds this event called Xbox Fan Fest, where they allow 500 fans to come and get a one-of-a-kind unique experience for E3. Now, there was a big fiasco because... When the first round of invites were available, a lot more people than they had slots for got in, including myself. And they had a second round where you could try and enter again, and I did not get an invitation to it. And I was very heartbroken because I tasted victory, and it was taken away from me. And that was just, it was very, very disheartening. However, that did not deter me. And I started what I ended up calling my quest for Xbox Fan Fest. And each day, I would come up with a new and creative idea of how to show these people at Xbox how much Xbox and this experience would mean to me. I talked about my favorite games, my introduction to Xbox. I talked about how Xbox and others inspired me to start an Extra Life Columbus charity off of the National League to really help kids in need while playing these incredible games. And Microsoft had been a huge partner. And it took about nine or 10 days of posting until I finally got the invitation that I'd been waiting for. And it was such an incredible moment. And on Sunday, I got to live the start of Xbox Fan Fest. When I got there, I ran into my friend from the My IGN days when I used to write and blog with IGN named Eric. And I talked to him many times over the years, but never had a chance to meet him. And it was such a cool experience to finally put a face to the name and get to learn about him and experience this his first time as well. It was it was a very very good start and also they had they hired some pirates to sing songs that may be from Sea of Thieves or may just be pirate theme songs that sang to us as we waited in line to get into Xbox Fan Fest. So that was very cool. When we finally got into the start of the Fan Fest, I was just blown away by what they prepared for us. I mean, when you walk in to the right, there's a crackdown wall that was filled with donuts. There was a giant screen with gameplay going on. You would have to check in by your gamer tag and you get a customized lanyard and you get a shirt that you can put your gamer tag on. They had free lunch and just all these things to welcome you into the event and get ready to take you to the Galen Center to experience the press conference on the floor right in front of the stage. So after hanging out for a little bit, they got us into buses and took us over to the Galen Center. And we sat in a room and got organized into certain ways. And then people started coming out. 
There was Major Nelson and Aaron Greenberg and Mikey Barra and Phil Spencer, the top people at Xbox, came and spoke to us when they could have been preparing for their E3 presentation, but they wanted to show how much they cared about the fans, and it really felt like they did. And I know it's a lot of marketing speak and people trying to entice you, but you can tell with the energy in that room that they really did feed off it and loved it, and I, it was really, really cool to see. And then they took us onto the floor, and like I said, I was maybe four rows back from the stage, and there was a giant 4K screen that was getting ready to show the power of whatever Project Scorpio was going to be. And we got to sat down as the lights went down, and the show began. And there are very few times that I felt chills like that when the lights went down and Phil Spencer started speaking. And the Xbox conference was a good conference. It wasn't life-changing or perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a very solid conference that focused on games and focused on the Xbox One X that, like I said, is launching on November 7th for $499. And let me tell you what, sitting in there and looking at this huge 4K screen went a long way to selling me of the power of this machine. Seeing Assassin's Creed and the beauty of Egypt and Forza, which always looks incredible, and even Crackdown 3, which has a more cartoony and comic look with the 4K resolution, everything is just so sharp and so clear. And while all these games were incredible, the one that stole the show and stole my heart for me was Ori. I mean, I cannot, I don't think I'll ever be able to convey how, first of all, Ori in the Blind Forest is one of my favorite games of all time. And if you haven't played it, you should pause this, play it, and then come back. <laughs> but Ori 2 was announced while Gareth Coker, the composer of Ori, which has incredible music, was playing a live rendition of this theme song or song from the new game. And it was such a somber and sad but beautiful trailer that gave, set the mood for what this next game is going to be about. And while we didn't get a firm release date, I'm hoping it's not too long because I cannot wait. But it almost brought some tears to my eyes. It was, it was pretty close because it was so beautiful and so powerful being there when it was announced and hearing and feeling the power that Xbox and Ori can bring to the table. And then the show ended with Anthem. The new Bioware IP, which looks unbelievably fantastic. It gave me a lot of Destiny vibes, obviously, with it's a big shared world and there's loot and you get to experience missions and raids and everything with your friends and people from across the world. But what gets me very excited about this game is the Bioware touch. They are master storytellers and Destiny was lacking in that department. And I know they fixed a little bit in the Taken King and with other expansions, but I cannot wait to see what Bioware can bring to this table and just seeing the first interactions and finding your mech suit and being able to jetpack and fly all over the world and dive seamlessly into water and go through these lush jungles. It was, it was really breathtaking. I'm hoping the game can live up to what it looks like because obviously we know when we see something the first time, it's running on a super high PC and it may not look as great as it did at first, but I'm, I'm keeping my hopes high that with the power of Xbox One X and with where technology and games are right now that we can get pretty close to what this game looks like because if it can reach somewhere near it, we're in for a serious treat. And those are the main things that stuck out to me from the Xbox press conference and after the show, we were shuttled back to where Xbox Fan Fest was and the room kind of transformed. They set up original Xboxes where you could play Crimson Sky or the original Halo, which obviously was tying into their announcement that Xbox One or the original Xbox games were coming to Xbox One backwards compatibility. 
They had tournaments set up, bringing people on stage. I got to meet Rod Ferguson of Gears of War fame and of everything else to tell him how much he's impacted my life and how much Gears of War meant to me. And I felt more than ever that Xbox did truly care. And if you could have seen the smiles and joy and excitement from everyone in that room, it was infectious and very great to experience. Now when that ended, it was off straight to Bethesda land. And this was one of the highlights, if not the highlight, of my E3 experience. I got there a little bit late because of Xbox FanFest, so I didn't get to really take in exactly what it was. But as you were walking into Bethesda land, there were all these photo opportunities and these people giving out popcorn and cotton candy and this incredible Nuka-Cola or Fallout music was playing as you walked in. And you see this giant Ferris wheel and these statues of Pip-Boy and walking through Elder Scrolls areas and seeing that there's a prey bar in the distance. But I had to go right to the press conference. So we walked in and there was a giant stage and Pete Hines came out and talked and it was a, a pretty good show. It was very short, which I was surprising. And there wasn't, once again, very many surprises. But it was great seeing Skyrim for Switch and seeing that Amiibo gives you the Master Sword and gives you the Breath of the Wild tunic and little things here and there. And that was pretty awesome. And obviously Wolfenstein looks incredible. Wolfenstein 2. I can't wait to just keep killing Nazis, as I like to say. And I appreciate that Bethesda's pushing hard into VR and that they're coming to PlayStation VR, and I can't wait to get my hands on those. And Evil Within looks great. Even though I didn't play the first one, it definitely piqued my interest, and I'm excited to see more from that series. So like I said, it was a quick conference, but what really stood out to me was Bethesda Land. What those of us who were in attendance got to experience was as the show ended, they announced that Papa's Diner from Wolfenstein 2 had been recreated, and they had employees from In-N-Out come, and they were serving burgers and fries and a strawberry milkshake and a collectible cup like the Commandant's milkshake that he loved in the trailer. And the Evil Within had an art gallery where you can see very disturbing pictures, also while sipping wonderful champagne with rose petals in it. There was themed food and themed drinks and turkey legs and stations where you can try out some of these games and collect pins. And out of nowhere, I mean, they've done this in the past by bringing out concerts, but the Chainsmokers started playing a concert. And you could walk right up to the front and experience these guys, especially if you loved them. And it was just an incredible gesture by Bethesda to throw on one heck of a party. So, of course, I ran around and had some Nuka-Cola and some cotton candy and a turkey leg and just took in the magic of E3 and just enjoyed every moment that I could. And then Monday came along, and it was, if I have to be honest, not as successful of a day, but still a great one. I went with one of my other writers from the site I write for at Marooners Rock to try and get into Ubisoft's press conference. And I don't know if it has to do with the public being there this year or what, but they were so much stricter this year than they had been in past years or so I've been told. Where usually, once the show was about to start, they had some empty seats, they wanted to fill them, there was usually standby people who can get in. And while I had entrance to some of the other press conferences, Ubisoft and PlayStation were the two that I unfortunately was not able to get. So I stood there and was not able to get a ticket. But the funniest thing was the show started, and if you're familiar, Scott Porter of Friday Night Lights fame and Madden the Longshot fame, and I think Hearts, Hearts of Dixie or whatever that show is called, he had a ticket and arrived at maybe 1.05 when the show started at 1 o'clock. And he was not even allowed in. So if Scott Porter's not allowed in, I don't know what chance any of the rest of us had. 
But after about 30 minutes, I did finally let him in, which was good. But unfortunately, I had to watch it from the outside, which was a shame because I would have to say that Ubisoft probably threw one of the best conferences of the show. They had so many great games, starting off with Shigeru Miyamoto coming out and talking about Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle and showing more of Far Cry 5 and Assassin's Creed Origins, which I am super excited for. And who can forget the stinger at the end by saying that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is actually coming? Well, let's hope so, because from some of the reports, it seems it's very early in development. But it looks like this is going to be a prequel that kind of takes that maybe a few generations back, but gives you the opportunity to kind of explore the universe. And they showed kind of some No Man's Sky-esque concepts where you can fly up into space and explore and create your own story in this universe. And hopefully it'll tie into the original game. But that was a great thing to end it with, and it was just very well paced, and they got the developers out there to talk, which I loved. Instead of some random host or cheesy host trying to get out there and make jokes and bridge gaps between announcements, they got people to come out and really talk about their passion and love for the games, and it really showed. And after we got our badges, we headed over to PlayStation, and I tried to wait standby, and once again, they were not letting anybody in, even though in years past, apparently they had. But it ended up being okay because I got to watch the PlayStation conference with 40 or 50 super passionate, incredible fans, and we got to celebrate and enjoy the announcements together outside the show. So while we didn't get to be in there and experience all the magic and splendor of the press conference, it was, wasn't a terrible alternative. And to be honest, I expect big things from PlayStation because the past few years they've given us such incredible announcements as like The Last of Us 2 and Final Fantasy 7 coming back and Kingdom Hearts 3 and all these incredible announcements that come out of nowhere and show that PlayStation knows what's up. But this year was a little, I don't know, normal? It wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, it just didn't have that special something that took your breath away. God of War looks incredible. I mean, I, that's one of my most anticipated games without a doubt. Seeing how Kratos got from Greece all the way over to being a part of Norse mythology and the relationship with his son and experiencing maybe some remorse from his past and trying not to have his son follow in the same footsteps as him. I can't wait to see how that story unfolds and I think it's an incredible evolution of that character. I think it's great that they're bringing back Shadow the Colossus, even though I thought maybe it was a new one, but it is just a remake. But I'm sure that game is going to look and run incredible. And if you haven't played that, this is going to be an incredible way to experience one of the most special games that's been made. It's so unique and strong in its vision that it, it definitely deserves a spot on your shelf. And they showed more Detroit Become Human, which keeps looking better and better as I see of it made by Quantic Dream, the makers of Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, which are some of my favorite, once again, experiences that I've had on the PlayStation console and gaming in general. And the conference ended with Spider-Man, which looks amazing, but didn't blow me away as much as maybe it did some other people or it was trying to. I mean, I think it looks really fun, but it also just kind of looks like a Spider-Man game, which granted is not a bad thing at all. I was hoping for maybe a little more, and I think what I was really hoping for was the open world. I mean, I, it's fun to see his acrobatics and fighting enemies and, and trapping the thugs and seeing characters coming in and out. But what the true fun of Spider-Man, at least for me, is swinging around the city in the open world and jumping up to the highest building and jumping off and saving civilians and having random quests happen. And we didn't really get to see too much of that. 
there was a chase with a helicopter through the city and you got to experience some of the wall running and the web slinging and like i said it looks very very good but i don't know i was hoping for once again a little more so as i said playstation very strong conference but and it didn't have the magic of the prior years and that was a sad sight to see even though i think for me personally, I was just sad we didn't get any more Final Fantasy VII Remake, even though that game's probably not coming out till 2057. But those took care of the press conferences, and the one event that was left before E3 itself finally opened was our Xbox Fan Fest Fan Showcase. We got shuttled back to the Galen Center and got to experience the Xbox One X and some incredible games that are running in 4K. So I got to play Assassin's Creed Origins, which I instantly fell in love with. My history with Assassin's Creed started with the beginning of the franchise, and I loved the first one and the Ezio trilogy, but with 3 and Black Flag and Unity and Syndicate, I fell off. And I think it's because they felt too samey, and I just, I don't know, it felt like a chore finishing these games. But with them taking a year off and going to the incredible landscape of Egypt and running in beautiful 4K, I was instantly sold. And I only had about a 15 minute demo and I didn't even try to do any of the main missions, but I was just exploring the world. And one of my favorite parts is that you have an eagle companion named Senu that when you press up on the D-pad, I think it was, you seamlessly transfer in to Senu and he's basically your drone and your eyes and you can mark targets and, and fly away as far away as you want without desynchronizing and planning your attack and where you want to explore. And it was I just loved how seamless and easy it was to do that. And I jumped on a boat and I found some hippos, which the developer who was standing behind me really wanted me to find because he was very proud of them. And as in real life, hippos are very dangerous and I ran into a group of three and, and got decimated very quickly. <laughs> but it was a fun experience. And that's the power of a good Assassin's Creed is those little moments walking through the city and passing by people living their lives and feeling as if you are just a passerby and not the focal point that there was a history before you got there and long after you leave life will go on it's not just some random guys walking from point a to point b there are certain times and days that certain npcs will appear at different areas and you now have the ability to kind of skip forward and back through time to get to a certain area so obviously this helps if you're trying to enter into a fortress, you can move time forward or back to get to the perfect time right as night is hitting to give you the perfect cover to accomplish your mission. I had a few issues with climbing where there are a few structures that I would just jump up and not grab onto. And I'm hoping they fix that by the time the game releases because everything else just felt so good. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to be a fanboy or anything crazy here, but Running on an Xbox One X, this game just looked so gorgeous. I mean, the character models and animations still look a little weird, as is as normal in Assassin's Creed. But the vistas and the water and everything just looked, just popped out of the screen. And that's always the problem with viewing these things at home, especially if you don't have a 4K TV. You can't really appreciate how incredible these games look. But I'm here to tell you that 4K does make a difference if the developers treat it well and there are certain games like Assassin's Creed and Forza and Sea of Thieves that really shine and make a difference when running at this high resolution. After Assassin's Creed I went over to play Crackdown 3 and the one thing that I can say about Crackdown 3 is it feels like Crackdown. <laughs> it looks beautiful, the comic and art style really pop and are very clear and clean 
and jumping around the city collecting agility orbs and throwing people and throwing cars and picking up lampposts and using them as baseball bats really was an incredible time and I can tell it will be a lot of fun when you're actually building out your character and getting to really experiment with a sandbox world but it Crackdown 3 didn't blow me away. It felt, like I said, very much like Crackdown, good and or bad. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see the massive destruction that is limited to multiplayer and co-op because that's where they reserve the power of the cloud. And in single player, it just, there is a little bit of destruction. Obviously, people and cars can go flying in small structures. But in multiplayer, they are claiming that you can decimate buildings and shoot rockets and just have everything crumble at your will. So that was a little disappointing not being able to first of all see that or know that that's really in the single player mode. But Crackdown is a great addition to the Xbox and I'm glad it's coming out with the launch of the Xbox One X. And I think will be a game that'll just be fun to jump into years and years from now. Besides that I got to play Forza 7 and once again looks incredible but it feels like Forza. So if you've played Forza before you kind of know what you're getting into. But Running in 4K, that game really shows off that cars can be beautiful. And I really like the new Dubai track and the sun shining and the storms rolling in. Really are a sight to behold and I'm excited to kind of jump into more of those. I'm a little partial to the Forza Horizon series because I do like the open freedom and the more kind of fun nature of those games. But for pure simulation and racing, Forza is just on a whole nother level and they're really doing some great things over at that studio. I didn't get to play Sea of Thieves or some of these other indie titles like Tacoma was there but I didn't want to ruin my experience. Minecraft was there with their super duper graphics pack and some other games that looked great and I got to see them from a periphery. But those were the main games that I played and got to experience. Now as the pre-E3 festivities came to an end, I was finally ready to prepare to get into E3 and the show floor. The moment I've been waiting for. And it all started when I got to the convention center at around 8.30 a.m. Now the show floor didn't open until noon, but I wanted to make sure I was one of the first people in there so I can head straight to Super Mario Odyssey, as you can see here. Um, we got there at 8.30 and I sat in line with some other people and there were maybe two or three hundred people in line already. And we all watched the Nintendo Direct together. And that was just, I thought, a great show. I mean, Metroid Prime 4 is coming, which... We've been clamoring and asking for forever, and even though it was a title screen, just knowing that Nintendo heard our cries is so awesome. And getting confirmation that a Yoshi game is coming to the Switch, and a Kirby game, and seeing more Splatoon, and Pokin, and Fire Emblem Warriors, the Switch is really starting to see an incredible library and showing us gamers and those those of us who have supported them, that there's going to be a lot to play on the system, and it's not going to be like the Wii U and having these giant droughts. If you look at kind of a schedule leading up to the end of the year, there's a big first party or close related game coming out every month. It's really a great time to be a Nintendo fan, and it's only the start. And I think with the continued success, we're going to start seeing more third party developers jump onto the success of the Switch because there's a lot of buzz around it. And I know this is a bold statement, but I think it is one of the best consoles Nintendo's ever made. And personally, might be one of my favorite of all time when it's all said and done. Now they also announced that Pokemon is coming to the Switch and it's going to be a brand new experience. So it appears that Pokemon Stars is not in the cards, but we'll get a tailor-made experience for the Nintendo Switch. Though they did say it may take a year or more to come out, so we're probably looking maybe close to the end of 2018 or early 2019 at the earliest. But the big game, the game that all Nintendo fans came to see was Super Mario Odyssey. 
and this game looks so fantastic. I like how they started off with a big T-Rex and you thought maybe it was a Monster Hunter game, but then you saw that he had a hat on and a mustache, and it just flew into just happiness and jazz and wonderful little secrets and wonder of the magic of this game. They show the new mechanic where you have your hat, Cappy, and you get to throw him and control enemies. You get to control chomp chomps or bullet bills or people. And those kind of take the form of the power-ups and give you access to different areas or abilities. You get to become a Moai statue and you can put your glasses up and down to see hidden platforms and the variety and just little things that people probably will take months for them to find is what is getting me so excited about this game. This is like Super Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine where the worlds themselves are a level and are secrets and you're looking for what are now moons instead of shines or stars and finding coins that are linked to the worlds that unlock different costumes like the Super Mario Maker outfit or a zoot suit or a safari outfit. It just looks like this game is just filled to the brim with incredible moments and experiences just waiting to be had. And the Nintendo Direct was short, it was quick, 25 minutes or so and it was done. But then it was time to wait for the show to open. So as the clock ticked ever closer to noon, the excitement level kept growing and growing and growing. And at about 11.40, everyone just knew that it was about to happen. The doors started opening. And at 11.45, 15 minutes before the show was supposed to open, they let the masses in. And it wasn't a madhouse or peep, nobody died, thankfully. But it was a mad dash of people trying to get right to Nintendo or Sony or wherever they were trying to get to. But my mission was Super Mario Odyssey. And I went right into the booth and I was welcomed into New Donk City. And they recreated this city with little secrets where if you stepped on the floor, certain things would happen like Mario shooting up a pole or a star appearing. And they had statues of Chomp Chomps and Goombas with Mario hats and mustaches on and stations for all the incredible games and Treehouse Live right in the back. And it was such a cool thing to walk into. And I got into line to play Super Mario Odyssey and I had to wait probably about an hour, hour and a half to play, but the wait didn't feel long because I was able to watch people play it and just take in the magic of E3. And it was magical. It really was an incredible moment. And when I finally got to play Super Mario Odyssey, my excitement level was just through the roof. When you started the demo, you got to choose to play at the Sand Kingdom or the Metro Kingdom, which as we know is New Donk City. I'd watched the person before me play Metro Kingdom, so I chose the Sand Kingdom. As I tend to do in demos, I really focused on just exploring the world and not really focusing on a main or critical path. So I was immediately greeted by a Day of the Dead motif with these little people with skulls and sombreros and ponchos dancing around and giving you quests or giving you tips. And for some reason, the desert was freezing cold. So when Mario would stand still, he would shiver in place and started to experience the power that is Super Mario Odyssey. I fought a few Goomba, I went up a path and saw a bullet bill and knew that if I threw my hat in with a flick of a Joy-Con, would be able to control that bullet bill and control him and fly to an area that would be otherwise inaccessible. One of my favorite parts was when I took that bullet bill to this area that had basically a 2D Mario painting, 2D Mario World painting on the wall. And there was a tube on the bottom right. And when you entered it, Mario was transposed onto that painting, very akin to A Link Between Worlds. And you got to play a small little chunk of 2D NES Mario. 
It was just, it was incredible. And one of the best parts too is Super Mario Odyssey has tons of outfits that you can wear. And no matter what you're wearing, you will look like that in a 2D form once you get onto this these walls. It was just so cool. And I just loved every minute of it. And now we only got 10 minutes to play and that went by super, super fast. But you got to see how much depth there was. And what I love is there's moons hidden all throughout these worlds, like the stars in Super Mario 64. But when you collect them, you don't get kicked out of the level. You just do a nice pose and they give the date on the bottom. So if you want to share it, you know when you achieve this achievement. But they gave you rewards, kind of like Breath of the Wild. Not as extreme as the Koroks, but there's little secrets to be found everywhere. And it rewards you for exploring and just seeing every nook and cranny of this game. Now when the game ended, we got a nice little treat where we went to Crazy Cat, which they also created, where you do get to change your costumes. And we got to get... Cappy. <laughs> yes, a beautiful Cappy visor, which I just was so great. And it's it was just a fun thing to take home. And every time I look at it, I can't help but smile. So after Nintendo, I had an appointment to play Detroit Become Human. And that game was incredible, though it has some issues, in my opinion. We got to play through the demo that they showed at last E3, where you take the role of Connor, who is an android investigator, who's investigating this crime scene where there was some murders, a father was murdered, and this other android who was part of this family taking the young daughter hostage. And as you walk in, the mother comes by and doesn't understand why they're sending another android to fix a problem that an android started. And it's up to you to figure out what happened. So through exploring and finding out the history and playing back moments and memories, you got to kind of put together the evidence to aid in your interrogation or negotiation of Daniel, the android that has gone rogue, as they like to say. And you end up to find that it appears this family was looking to upgrade and find a new android, and Daniel thought that he was part of the family and loved, and there were all these other secrets and things going on behind the scenes. And you got to have, through dialogue choices and choosing kind of emotions and what you want to say, do all you can to save this young girl. And I ended up saving her, however, I didn't save Daniel and he ended up falling back off of a building where he was threatening to jump off with the girl. And I pushed him out but ended up saving the girl but falling off myself. And what I think was one of the most powerful moments was as I closed my eyes waiting for the pavement to end my mechanical life, it said mission successful. And I don't know, that just hit me because it kind of shows what androids are viewed in this world as just like a means to an end. That even though you didn't survive, the mission was a success because the girl was saved. Now, that's the power of these Quantic Dream games is you can, if I would have maybe found some more evidence or said this instead of that, maybe I could have saved Daniel. Maybe I would have failed completely. And the game just keeps rolling on. And while I can't wait to see how this story unfolds, a few things that kind of stuck out to me was that the camera has some serious issues. They try to focus you real close to the scene to really kind of draw your eyes to things, but I found myself really kind of wrestling with the camera to get a viewpoint that I was really hoping for. And also the game just feels a little too handholdy. It tells you to explore this room and as soon as you're finished exploring a room that, oh, you found everything in this room, continue on. Maybe you should check out this. Maybe you should do that. And while I appreciate them trying to move the story along, I was kind of hoping that I would feel more of like a detective instead of a man playing connect the dots. But I have high hopes for this game and hope it comes together because I think 
Quantic Dream, while they have some issues and some people are torn one way or the other on this games, provide some of the most unique experiences in the video game world. So for the rest of the first day, I kind of just took in the sights. I went to every booth and explored and just saw what E3 held. So I didn't get to play too much more that day. I tried out FIFA, I tried out some other little games here and there, but it was mostly just exploring and taking in the sights. But day two is when I had my first real appointments and I got to try out Call of Duty World War II and Destiny 2. I started off with World War II and it was just a multiplayer demo and you, it was team deathmatch to start and then you got to experience the war, which is a more objective-based push and pull type of game mode. And I had a great time. I really like the feel of it. It looks gorgeous and it's just, it's great and also terrifying to be back in World War II. And I just was getting a little tired of this modern and future war. And I don't know, there's something about World War II and it may be because my family, some members of my family were a part of World War II and it just feels so real that made this game just so much more compelling. And like I said, we haven't seen these games in a while. And when I first started and I was going through these German trenches, not knowing what was around each corner and finally getting a kill streak and calling in a strafing run on a plane, it just felt so good and gratifying. And I'm very, very excited for World War II. Then I got to play Destiny 2 and I got to play a multiplayer match which with a mode called Countdown where there were these two bombs that you can either arm or disarm or defend. And I was, while I had a great time because Destiny is fun and I loved the original one, it felt just like Destiny. I could not tell you that I was playing a different game. I mean, the, the HUD looked a little different. Sure, it's a new game mode, like the guns were a little switched here and there, but it felt so much like Destiny. I was just sitting there hoping for more. I mean, I don't know what I was hoping for because I know they can't radically change the game and I'm sure we'll start to see that once we play the strikes and the missions, but it felt so similar to the original Destiny. I was just really in shock. That being said, it was very fun and our team did pretty well, so that didn't hurt it either, but I don't know. I was hoping for a little more from Destiny and even from the, the menus and the loading screens and the end of battle screens, everything looked very, very similar. So once again, the rest of the day, I got to play Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And it is Mario meets XCOM with a cute layer on top of it. And I, once again, love this game. I think it's going to be a very, very fun addition, especially being on the Switch and being portable. It's just, it just has this charm to it that not many games have and it is so colorful which i think really helped the presentation and there's a lot of depth to it too i mean you have i got to control mario and peach rabbit and luigi rabbit and you choose where you want to move but if you have a friend in front of you and you choose another character you can move to that character launch off of them to flank an enemy move and attack like a little sliding attack as you move through an enemy and get to this warp pipe and get to another part of the battle area, hide behind cover, and attack all in one turn. There's a lot of strategy and depth because each character has their own special abilities, they have different weapons you can level up, and it's, it's a very fun introduction, I think, to the tactical strategic RPG that I think will turn on a lot of people. And they even have an overworld where you're kind of being led by this Roomba bunny robot thing, 
and you get to go through the world and there's little puzzles like collecting six red coins or eight red coins in a certain time limit and collecting all these coins and different events similar to other Mario games. And there's rabbits hanging out and being lazy and causing mischief that cause for some funny chuckles. So we'll see where the story goes and if the rabbits get a little too grating because obviously as you may have heard the peach rabbit loves to take selfies and <laughs> loves to just kind of be obnoxious but... And the short demo I had, which was about 20 minutes, I was not annoyed and I was just enamored. I just, I'm very excited for this game and I think it's another unique addition to the wonderful Nintendo Switch. Now, speaking of Nintendo, I did not have an appointment for Nintendo. I was told that maybe I would on Thursday, but I never got confirmation for it. But that didn't stop me. And I would go to the Nintendo PR booth on the hour, every hour, to show them my face and tell them how serious I was and how much a Nintendo appointment would mean to me. And the second day was no different. I kept asking if there was anything available. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But they started to get to know me. And at the end of the night, I gave them a little PDF document showing how much this would mean to me and my history with Nintendo and some pictures and all that wonderful stuff. And told them that, you know what, you may be busy, you may throw this away, but I just want to show you how serious I am about getting an appointment. On day three, I finally got my wish. I went, it was probably the third time I went to visit them, and they looked at me and they were like, Adam, is that you? Come here. And so they called me over and said that I had an appointment at 2.30, and I almost fainted. <laughs> I mean, this was the reason that I came to E3, and I achieved my goal and my dream of having an appointment with Nintendo, and that happened at 2.30. But before we get into my Nintendo appointment, I want to talk about how I got this shirt. And this is why when you go to these conventions, you have to be very observant because there's little secrets and ways you can kind of make the experience a little better for you. Because on day three, when the show started, tons of fans rushed right to play Mario. They waited in line. They wanted to play on the big screen on the TV. And within a couple minutes, the line was two, three, four hours long for you to want to play Super Mario Odyssey. However, at the Nintendo booth, on the side, they had little benches with guys or girls dressed up in nice suits and zoot suits like Mario can change into the game. And they had the handheld mode, just the Switch tablet sitting on the bench. So on the third day, I walked right around the crowd, walked right around, and there was a Switch just sitting on the bench. Sat down and started playing Super Mario Odyssey. It wasn't on the TV, but it was on handheld, which, you know what, I'll probably be playing a lot of Super Mario Odyssey on that anyway. And... Then, when I was playing, some guy came over to me, handed me this passport, and said, since you're one of the first five people to play the station, you get a chance to win a shirt, an exclusive shirt, that if you play five out of the eight games at the Nintendo booth, you get to redeem. So, not only did I get to play Mario without waiting, but I had a chance to get that shirt, which, as you can see here, I got. It's just, it's awesome, and it's something that I will cherish forever, because it's a shirt that I earned, and I got for my first E3. So after I played that and then it confirmed my appointment with Nintendo, I had an appointment with Sony and got to go into their PR booth, into their private area, and got to try out, got to play Detroit again, got to see Knack and GT Sports and Everybody's Golf, which, which were good games. And they had some VR stations set up. And I tried Star Child. And I didn't know too much about this game going in, but basically it's a platformer that... You play in VR and you're kind of this omnipotent god that's looking down. And the developer encouraged me to kind of look around. And you could look everywhere and get right up close to the protagonist or look into the grass or into the plants. There were bugs and aliens flying around and if you put your head in their path they would zoom across and they would kind of separate 
And it was a very, very cool experience that I'm very intrigued to see more because that's what VR can offer. Because while the game's platforming wasn't anything too special, being able to see it from this viewpoint and from this angle and kind of get a different perspective was something that I'm actually still thinking about today and I really, really enjoyed. So keep your eye on Star Child if you haven't before. So that was cool to experience it and speak to some developers of games that I've loved, but I couldn't spend too much time because I had to get over to Nintendo. So I walked in and I checked in and I had the guy who was leading my booth tour named Chad and he walked me up to the second level where I got a private station to play another half hour of Mario, which I loved. I got to try out Splatoon 2 and the Salmon Run mode, which is like Horde mode basically, which gets very, very tough. I was playing with a few other people and you can kind of take percentages. You can go like 0%, 10%, up to 100% obviously. And it gets harder and obviously you get more rewards the more you play. And while we did pretty well on 10%, we bumped it up to 50 and we could barely get past the first round. I mean, there's so much going on in that game with different enemies and aerial enemies and enemies you can only destroy with bombs or special attacks and you have to crowd control and collect these eggs and bring them back to your base. And there's a lot going on and I think is going to be a incredible mode once the game comes out. I mean, Splatoon 2 felt, it felt very similar, obviously, to Splatoon, but with the addition of Salmon Run and some new weapons, I think this is going to be an awesome game, especially to be able to play on the go. I also got to see Pokémon Tournament and Fire Emblem Warriors and ARMS, which was coming out in a few days back then, and they had a good showing. I unfortunately didn't get to see any of the Metroid stuff, like, because they announced at the Treehouse that Metroid Samus Returns is coming out, which is basically a remake of Metroid 2, but... Everything else I saw was wonderful, but I had probably one of the most incredible moments of my life when I was playing Super Mario Odyssey and I looked to my left and I had to do a double take because standing there watching everybody play their games, not specifically me or anything, was none other than the producer of Super Mario Odyssey, Yoshiaki Koizumi, and, and I must pause for this, Shigeru Miyamoto, just standing there watching people playing games that he helped inspire and started and I had to pause my game and I went over to them and was able to tell them through a translator how much Nintendo meant to me and how much this is a dream come true and everything I hoped it would be and I only spoke to them for but a second but it was something so special just being able to thank these people that helped shape who I am today and who have given me some of my greatest memories in my life and it was a moment that no words really be able to do justice for and really kind of put that cherry on top of this incredible ice cream sundae that was E3. And so unfortunately I only had an hour at the Nintendo booth and that went by in like two seconds. And after that it was about 3.30 and the show floor was closing at 5. So I just really walked around and took everything in. I got to go to the Xbox booth. I actually got to do a little interview for Xbox Fan Fest and tell them my story of how I got to Xbox FanFest and how much it meant to me and how special this experience has been. And I got to find one of the community leads at Xbox who was in charge of Ori and the Blind Forest and now Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And I got to get an exclusive pin, which was just awesome because oh, I love that game so much. And at the end, I went over to the Square Enix booth and just was watching some Final Fantasy and realized there was only 15 minutes left of the show. And I sprinted back to Nintendo and got to spend the last 15 minutes in New Donk City with some of the most passionate and incredible fans in the world. 
And as the show ended, I, it was tough for me to leave. And I tried to stay as long as I could and take in everything that I had because this trip went by in an instant. But as I was standing in New Donk City and looking back at my week, I just knew that it was a successful one and it lived up to everything I could have imagined. And E3 was a dream that I had and one that and actually lived up to what I hoped it would be. And that, my friends, is my E3 story. I'm sorry if it went a bit long, but there's so much to talk about and there's even more stories to tell that I hope to share with you over the next few months and years. But just know that if you ever get the chance to go to an E3, you should not hesitate because there's something truly special, especially if you love this industry and this medium, of being surrounded by incredible fans and incredible people who are so passionate about this and experiencing the magic of these games firsthand. I cannot recommend it enough and I really hope that I'll be able to get back to E3, hopefully next year or in the near future. So yeah, like I said, that ends episode 7 of The Gamer's Advocate. But I want to hear your E3 stories. Were you at the show or were you just watching the magic unfold at home? What were your favorite moments? What games didn't show up? that you wish were there, like for me, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Kingdom Hearts 3, and Shenmue 3. What took your breath away and are you so excited for in the future of video games? I know in this day of social media and all these conventions and different events going on to announce games, it can feel like we're having some new big announcement every week, but there's something special about E3 and I still find it very important to the industry in a time where all eyes are on our incredible world. So I hope you enjoyed my journey and my dream of E3 and achieving something that I've been striving for since I was but a wee little lad. So like I said, let me know your favorite moments, your thoughts, your comments. Send them to adam at thegamersadvocate.com. Tweet at me at Adam Bankhurst or the Gamers Advocate at Gamers Advocate. Subscribe and comment below. Like us and rate us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Become a part of the Gamers Advocate family, and let's continue to help this thing grow and become something truly special. So once again, I can't thank you enough for joining me this week, and I hope you have a great day and or night. Thank you.